But first, we must talk about the facts, including some of what the coroner found. And I must warn you that listeners' discretion is advised, as some of you may find it disturbing. February 1st, 1959, Russia. In the late hours of the harsh winter night, nine poor souls would lose their life on the slopes of Height 1079. Clouded in mystery and still remaining unresolved to this day in what has come to be known as the Atlov Pass Incident. Part 2. It is unknown what drove the group of nine experienced hikers to slash open their tent and flee into the night light clothed and barefoot towards the wooded valley below. They would have surely known that such actions would put their lives in certain jeopardy. In the early hours of the 27th of February, a student and close friend, Mikhail Sharavin, stood observing the missing hiker's tent. It was in bad shape, collapsed to the floor with one side slashed open and all their outdoor clothes and boots still inside. But he couldn't shake the feeling that something wasn't right from this scene. As he looked about his surroundings, he could see no sign that an avalanche had occurred, as the tent was still pitched in place and that their skis they used were still sticking in the ground, having not moved and the tent itself was only covered by light snowfall, also noting that it was only a 30 degree slope, it would have been very unlikely for such an avalanche to occur. Furthermore, a chain of 8 or 9 sets of individual footprints left by several people who were wearing socks, a single shoe and barefoot in the snow led away from the tent down towards the valley below, but such a thing would have been covered by an avalanche. As they followed the tracks down to the forest edge under a large old cedar tree, the search party found the remains of a fire, along with the bodies of Hori Krovnyshenko and Yuri Doroshenko, shoeless and only dressed in their underwear. The branches of the cedar tree had been broken up to five metres they would shortly find Igor's body 300 metres from the cedar tree, Zineda 630 metres from the tree, and six days later, Rustin's 48 metres from the tree, indicating they were trying to return to the tent. While the search was going on, the blame was first put on the local Mansi people, even though they were a part of the search party, but that was quickly ruled out when the forensics determined that the tent had been cut from the inside and also no other tracks were discovered around their tents. It took a further two months as the snow and ice started to melt for the remaining four members to be found a short distance in a ravine buried beneath the snow. Shortly after the remaining members of the group were found, the authorities determined an avalanche had killed the group and closed the case, made all case files classified and made the area restricted for three years and the group of friends were finally laid to rest. It wasn't until many years later when the USSR regime ended that the case files including the coroner reports were released to the public and this is where things didn't start to make sense to the official narrative, sparing many of the wild theories of what happened which we'll be going into shortly. But first we must talk about the facts including some of what the coroner found and I must warn you that listeners discretion is advised as some of you may find it disturbing. The first two that were found by the remains of the fire by that cedar tree were Krovenchenko, 
He was wearing an undershirt, long sleeve checkered shirt, swimming pants, long underpants and a torn sock on his left foot. He had injuries typical of extreme colds such as frostbite, but he also was covered in many cuts and bruises. He had bitten down on his knuckles, possibly in an attempt to stay awake. Also, he was showing signs of burn damage on his fingers and feet from the fire they had built trying to stay warm. Doroshenko was found to be wearing sleeveless cotton undershirt, short sleeve checkered shirt, shorts and swimming trunks, cotton underpants and woolen socks which were burnt. He again was found covered in cuts and bruises and also a foam grey fluid that was found on his cheeks speculating that before his death someone or something was pressing on his chest cavity. Livor Mortis indicated that after his blood had stopped circulating his body it was moved into position that they found him in. Igor Dyatlov was found 300 meters from the cedar tree, face up, his head was pointing towards the tent. He was found to be wearing an unbuttoned fur sleeveless vest which belonged to Yuri Yudin. Yuri gave it to Doroshenko before he parted ways, suggesting that Igor Igor Dyatlov was found 300 meters from the cedar tree, facing up, his head was pointing towards the tent. He was found to be wearing an unbuttoned fur sleeveless vest which belonged to Yuri Yudin, which Yuri gave to Doroshenko before he parted ways with him, suggesting that Igor took it off Doroshenko after his death. A sweater, long sleeve cotton shirt, ski pants over his pants. He had no shoes on but had cotton socks on one foot and a woolen sock on the other foot. Igor had minor abrasions and bruises on his face, but particularly on his knuckles, quite similar to someone had they been in a fight. Both his ankles had marks indicating that something could have been tied around them tightly. He died of hypothermia. Zineda was the last to be found on the 27th of February, 630 metres from the cedar, face down. She made it closest back, heading in the direction of the tent. She was better dressed with two hats, long sleeve undershirt, sweater, checkered shirt and another sweater, cotton sport pants, trousers, ski pants and three pairs of socks on two sets cotton and a woolen set. No shoes. In her pockets were five rubles and a military style protective mask under her checkered shirt. She had grazes and bruises on her face and knuckles and a long bruise on her lower back which looked like it was left from a baton. Her cause of death was stated as hypothermia due to a violent accident. It wouldn't be until March the 5th that the next member would be found by the Mansi volunteers, and that was Rustin. He was found 480 metres from the cedar tree, covered in 50 centimetres of snow, face down, his head towards the tent. He wore a long-sleeved undershirt, shirt, sweater, two pairs of pants, four pairs of socks, and one felt boot. He had 310 rubles his passport, small knife, pencil, pen, comb and matches in his pockets. The injuries Rustin sustained were bruises to his face and also to his knuckles again, similar to bruises in a hand-to-hand fight. He also had a skull fracture on his left side and both temporal regions had hemorrhages in the muscles. He was the most physically fit and in shape than anyone else in the group, but it was noted how unclear it was that he could have managed to fall down repeatedly, banging only the sides of his head which typical falls would damage the face, but also he had no damage to his palms. His body was with an icy bed under him from the hardening of the thaw and snow. This meant that when Rustin fell, his body was relatively still warm and that there was a noticeable heat exchange into the environment. His cause of death was hypothermia.
Even though the search continued, it wouldn't be until a further two months once snow had started to melt in May that the rest of the hikers were found. On May 5th, a Mansi native and his dog noticed cut branches forming a sort of trail, going down a distance of 50 metres from the first cedar tree. They found black cotton sweatpants, the right leg was cut with a knife, and they noticed around them the cedar branches and a young fir tree was missing its top, along with another piece of ripped clothing. Although the area had been searched previously with avalanche probes, they had found nothing as the snow was deeper than that they had expected. The discovery of the den only adds further to the mystery. On one hand, it shows that the group were in some sane mind to do everything they could to survive, but also, why were their attempts still ended in their deaths? The discovery of the tent only adds further to the mystery. On one hand, it shows that the group were of sane mind to do everything they could to survive, but also, why their attempts still ended in their deaths, and also, why didn't they find the knife used to cut the branches? The den was discovered 75 metres from the cedar tree in a ravine that was hidden from the cold winds. This was most probably the idea of Zolorotov. Having been a soldier on the front lines, this was a common practice to survive winters on the front line, and given their circumstances, offered the best chance of survival. Cedar branches were brought to the den and laid out on the floor to act as a barrier between their bodies and the cold snow. Also, some clothes taken from the first two bodies by the cedar tree were placed on top of the branches too. Another perplexing find was that the four remaining hikers' bodies was not found on the branches of the den, but several feet away in the deeper parts of the ravine. Ludmilla was the first out of the four to be found. She was found on her knees with her face and chest pressed against a rock in the running water. She was found to be wearing short sleeve shirt, long sleeve shirt and two sweaters. The brown sweater belonged to Kravinchenko, one of the two men who had died by the fire, indicating that it had been removed after his death. The sweater was also tested to be radioactive. She also had underwear, long socks and two pairs of pants. The external pair was badly damaged by fire. She also wore a small hat and two pairs of socks. She had also, in an attempt to save her feet, took her sweater off and cut it in two to wrap around both of them. She was missing skin around her eyes, eyebrows, nose and left cheek exposing bone. Her eyes were missing and that her top lip, tongue and the muscles on the floor of her mouth were missing. She had multiple broken ribs and a hemorrhaging into her heart due to immense pressure. It was reported that the injuries were identical to one that had been hit by a car, but no external damage was present. Cause of death was ruled as hemorrhaging to the heart and internal bleeding. Zolorotov was found to be one of the best dressed for the climate than the rest of the group, indicating he may have been outside when the incident happened, or had not long been outside. He was equipped with two hats, scarf, long sleeve shirt, sweater and a coat and the two upper buttons unbuttoned. On his lower half he wore underwear, two pairs of pants and a pair of skiing pants. He had a copy of a newspaper, several coins, compass and a few other items. His legs were protected by a pair of socks and a pair of warm leather handmade shoes known as burka. He was found with a camera around his neck of which the film was damaged due to the melting snow. The surviving member, Yuri Yudkin, 
was very surprised to find out he had another camera on him. He said there were only four cameras on the trip and only saw Zolotov with one camera, which was still in the tent, indicating he kept it secret. He was also clutching an empty notepad and a pen as if he was just about to write something down. His injuries were severe. His eyes were missing, along with the soft tissues of his left eyebrow exposing bone. An open wound on the right side of his skull with exposed bone. His chest on the right side of his body was crushed, causing broken ribs and hemorrhaging into his heart. It was noted that his and Ludmilla's injuries appeared in such a way without any damage to the soft tissues of their chests were very similar to the type of trauma that results from the shockwave of a bomb. Alexander and Zolotov were found embraced back to breast as if Alexander was trying to warm Zolotov. Alexander was again well dressed for the outdoors in full ski gear except for boots and a hat. His ski jacket was unbuttoned and unzipped which was unusual. His sweater waistband and lower parts of his trousers later tested radioactive. His injuries were missing soft tissues around his eyes. His eyebrows were missing exposing bone. His injuries were missing soft tissue around his eyes. His eyebrows were missing exposing bone. An open wound behind his ear and his neck was deformed. Some speculate that he could have had his neck broken or strangled, which is a common sign of killing, especially by special forces. But very strangely, the coroner never went into depth about the deformed neck and kept it out of the report. Hypothermia was stated as the cause of death. Last to be found was Nikolai. He was well protected against a Siberian winter, complete with hat and boots. It was suggested that he and Zolotov may have been outside of the tent at the time a mysterious threat struck them. This explains why both hikers wore shoes and were covered by several layers of clothes. Both men were much better prepared than the rest of the group when they were forced to abandon their tent. His injuries were yet again sustained in a mysterious way. He had multiple fractures to his temporal bone, bruises on his upper lip and hemorrhaging on his lower forearm. The coroner excluded accidental fall on the rocks as a possible cause for such a massive and unusual fracture. Death was still stated as hypothermia. So there we are. Those are the facts surrounding the mysterious deaths. It may have been a bit long-winded, but important to try to piece together what may have happened. But the more you look into the case, the more it just seems to present more questions rather than answers. The Yeti Theory one theory suggests that during their journey, the group may have encountered a mysterious creature, possibly a yeti or a bonnable snowman, lurking in one of the forests within the valley. It is believed that the group became aware of its presence, causing them to decide against camping in the wooded valley below out of fear. Instead, they opted for a much safer setup camp on the slopes. As a precaution, the hikers chose not to use their stove that night and opted for cold food hoping to avoid any scents that might attract the creature. However, during the night, the Yeti employed a tactic using infrasound in its scream. Luring the hikers out of their tents, frightened and disorientated, they were compelled to flee towards the wooded valley below while the Yeti rummaged through their tent. Upon reaching the wooded valley, the Yeti swiftly attacked the two hikers who had gathered around the fire, slamming them into a cedar tree. It then pursued the three remaining fleeing hikers. Meanwhile, the other four hikers, taking the clothes from the two by the fire, fled and sought refuge by constructing a makeshift den in an attempt to hide from the creature. Unfortunately, the Yeti managed to track them down and launched a swift attack.
This theory was based on two things. On the night of the event, they wrote a mock paper and one of the headlines read, in recent years there has been a heated debate about the existence of Yeti. According to recent reports, Yeti lives in the northern Ural near Mount Otorton. Very similar to the discovered newspaper inside the tent that read, Russian Yeti, the killer lives. The back quotes a cryptid message written in a newspaper the students brought with them. From now on, we know that the snowmen exist. And also from photo number 17 of Nikolai's camera, showing a blurry figure emerging from out behind a tree. It's up to you whether or not you believe this, but after looking to this theory, I believe it to be untrue. There were no mentions of any sightings of any yeti or being followed in any of their diaries. And when you look through the photos taken by the group, it's very clear of their playful antics, and they were joking around, entertaining each other, keeping morale high. And what's more, no mention of the tracks were found at the scene in the environment indicating an attack had happened at all. All information I found about this theory was highly embellished stories with little facts. There are many theories about what people think happened to the Diablo group, ranging from secret weapons testing to UFOs to attacks by the local Mansi tribe or the government trying to cover up and eliminate dissonance or witnesses to their illegal activities. Most of these theories carry no evidence whatsoever in an attempt to try and rationalise what happened to the group. Based on the available evidence, the most plausible theory suggests that on the night of February the 1st, 1959, a slab avalanche was triggered by catabatic winds. This type of avalanche occurs when a weak layer of snow beneath other compressed layers breaks off and pulls everything down the slope. In a panic, the hikers hastily cut their way out of the tent, leaving behind their belongings for fear of being trapped under the snow. In the darkness, the group scattered towards the wooded valley below. They regrouped under a large cedar tree and attempted to create a fire using branches to provide warmth amidst the falling temperatures and blizzard-like wind. Two of the hikers, Doroshenko and Koroshenko, ill-prepared for the cold, moved closer to the fire, causing severe burns as they no longer had proper sensation due to hypothermia. They eventually succumbed to hypothermia, prompting the remaining group members to undress and use clothing from their deceased friends in an effort to survive. The group then divided into two. Igor, Zineda and Rustim attempted to return to the tent to retrieve vital equipment while the other four decided to build a makeshift shelter further into the woods to escape the cold. While the three climbers faced worsening weather conditions and were hit by debris from the storm, they collapsed and froze to death. Meanwhile, the remaining four successfully built their shelter, but tragically the weight of the snow caused the roof to collapse, resulting in severe injuries. The peculiar state of the bodies, including the loss of body parts, may be attributed to them being face down in running water as the snow melted, which could have accelerated decomposition, which could have accelerated decomposition and deterioration of the eyes and the skin. The presence of radioactive clothing can be explained by two members previously participating in a clean-up operation or working at a nuclear plant affected by a disaster like Chernobyl, which was covered up by the government. However, this theory has some limitations. It fails to fully explain the severity of the injuries sustained by the group, as well as the unusual chest injuries that two members experience. 
Certain members of the search and rescue teams noted the absence of clear evidence of an avalanche, and the slope was considered too gentle to account for the degree of harm suffered by the hikers. In conclusion, while this theory offers some compelling explanations and possibilities, it does not provide a comprehensive account of the factors surrounding the Diapo Pass incident. The true sequence of the events and the exact cause of the hikers' deaths remain unresolved. After many hours of research into the incident, as well as watching a recent documentary called An Unknown Compelling Force about the incident, I do suspect another darker side to this. I didn't go into a few aspects, such as an image on one of the cameras showing what looks like blurry lights in the sky, which could have been testing new military equipment or a rocket. Although officially no rockets were being tested near Autorton, but it's not past the realms of possibilities. From reading all about from reading all about the evidence and piecing together the investigation, I think that what happened that night had to have been something threatening coming from above, up higher on the slopes or in the air for all of the members to feel like they were in certain danger and that shortly after they witnessed something that they shouldn't know about possibly something military or they were amb ambushed by or they were ambushed by another group of natives based on the clothing reports it appears that all of the hikers gathered at the fire near the cedar tree at some point however based on the nature of their injuries i believe they were attacked and some of them fought back the three individuals found up the slope had abrasions and bruises consistent with a physical alteration. It's been mentioned that a flashlight was discovered on top of the tent switched on, which leads me to believe that Igor, Zineda and Rustem were heading back to the tent using it as a reference point after witnessing the death of their friends. It is possible they were attacked while retreating, possibly interrogated, before the attention turned to the remaining four who were met with a similar fate. This is merely my theory, and there is no way for me to truly know what happened. However, delving deep into this case, reading their diaries and viewing their photographs, I feel a sense of connection to them. It is a tragic event that they were so young, barely in their twenties when their lives were abruptly taken away. I hope they found peace before passing on. If you wish to further explore the case and read the diaries or view the group pictures, you can find them on theatlovepass.com. However, I must warn you that the site contains post-mortem photos, and if you are sensitive, I do not re recommend seeking them out, as they may only bring sadness to you. And with that, that concludes this story. As time progresses, new information may come to light and we may revisit this case, but for now, it's good night and sleep tight.